Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. It's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. It's a pleasure to talk to you this evening. So just some updates here. We had Brandon Zilster on the show. He's a performer of the week in the CFL. Quarterbacks getting beat up here. Kevin Klen for the uh, Riders, his hand is injured. Doubtful for Hamilton Friday. Might see Canadian Brandon Bridge get the start. Travis Lule from BC out for the season. Knee injury. So Jennings back in for Calgary on Saturday. Trevor Harris from Ottawa. Shoulder sprain. He's on the six-game DL. Drew Tate will start against the Alouettes on Sunday. For the Eskimos, looks good for safety. Neil King, cornerback Johnny Adams, and running back Trayvon Van to return off the DL to play in Toronto on Saturday. I was talking to Dave Campbell today. One of the head-scratching moments from that game against Calgary on Saturday, Mike Riley, uh, an illegal shot to the head, wasn't penalized, and then he's removed from the game by the spotter. Dave telling me there have been four concussion removals since the start of the 2016 season. Riley, the first quarterback to be taken out of the game. I don't know if that makes you feel any better that it's happened before to a player, not to a quarterback, but there you go. We had uh, some comments there from Gary Bettman about the arena situation in Calgary. The Flames via President and CEO Ken King saying, we're just not going to go negotiate. We're done talking with the city. The quote I think that's going to come out of this one, spectacularly unproductive meetings, is what King uh, Ken King said. Gary Bettman there in his comments, just want to go over some highlights. He said the Saddledome can't now compete with Edmonton. 39 dates that Edmonton got that Calgary didn't when it came to concerts and things like that. Uh, Bettman used that phrase, there will be consequences to deal with. And he was asked, how is this different than other negotiations, specifically what happened in Edmonton in recent years? And uh, Bettman said he does not get the sense from city council in Calgary that they recognize the importance of the infrastructure to have and keep major league sports franchises. And, uh, you know, Mayor Stephen Mandel at the time, w- w- and he wasn't always happy about it, and he didn't, didn't always see eye to eye with the Cates group, but Mayor Stephen Mandel believed that we needed an arena and needed it downtown, and he was a driving force behind that, 
whereas Nenshi seems to be on the other side of it. They're going into an election there, so you wonder if uh, King is trying to play a bit of a political card here and turn some of the public opinion against Nenshi, and then maybe a, a, another mayor comes in. I know somebody texted in that saying Nenshi is just another vote on council. Fair enough, but the mayor takes on a bit of a leadership role, and he can get public support you know, behind him one way or the other. It will be interesting to watch, not from afar, from a, from a medium distance. It will be spectacularly interesting to watch. It's 7.08. It's Inside Sports on 6.30 Chet. Cleveland won Detroit nothing. They're in the sixth inning. Cleveland going for its 20th consecutive victory in Major League Baseball. Blue Jays now trailing the Orioles 2-1. They're in the top of the eighth. 24 hours from now, we will be into a game at Rogers Place between the Oilers' rookies and a team made up of Nate and McEwen players. I'm calling them the mashups. Sean Bell is the assistant coach of the Nate Ukes. He probably hates that name, Sean, but it's the best I could come up with on short notice. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. And the mashups is not that great of a name. <laughs> Thank you. What do you? What do you? Are you? Do you have you guys come up with a name, or are you just you're just going out there and playing? I think the boys are just going out there and playing. They're uh, extremely happy to be a part of this game, and um, you know, we had a practice today, and you know, a lot of the guys were nervous, but can't be nervous on a stage like that. So there are uh, no names, but guys are really excited. I know Tim Fraggle, your head coach, was on with Bob earlier, and he mentioned that it's going to be fun with the jerseys because the Nate guys are going to wear Nate jerseys, the dark ones, the Concordia, or uh, the McEwen guys are going to wear the, the McEwen jerseys, the dark, the dark ones, and the Oilers will be in white. What, what do you anticipate for line combinations? Are you going to try to keep the Nate guys together and the McEwen guys together, or is there the opportunity to mix and match and go for some strengths here? I think you're going to probably see a, a lineup that's mixed and matched. Um, you know, there was some discussion whether or not we just wanted to roll out a Nate line and a McEwen line and, you know, at least have uh, a little bit of symmetry with, as, in terms of the colors. But I think you got to try to go best on best if you can and um, hopefully match up your top guys against uh, the other top guys. You know, th- this game often was against the U of A, Sean, and, there, you know, there's different histories for the players. The, the U of A is generally all WHL guys. You guys have some guys from the dub. You have some guys from the AJ. Uh, you know, I know there are some guys on your team who are 23, 24, but there are some younger players as well. Uh, I, I mean, just how, how, do you, how do you look at this matchup? What, what are your guys going to have to do to stay competitive in the game? Well, I think first and foremost, they have to just kind of be composed and, you know, they can't let their nerves get the best of them. Um, You know, for a lot of these guys outside of the guys that have played in uh, the WHL or maybe the AHL, uh, this will be the biggest arena they've ever played in. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of nerves and they want to make an impression and they want to make sure that, you know, their programs look good. But, you know, moving forward, I think that if they just go out, play their game, keep it simple i think that the the longer the game goes on they'll start to find their legs and and get adjusted to the speed of the game what's it been like do you think for the players merging for this i know it's exciting and they want to be in the game there's also a pretty healthy rivalry i think between these these two schools (laughs) any 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 tension that's had to be cut away well the good news for us is that with our roster we only have five guys that played on our team last year um, so, you know, there's a little bit of tension with those guys. Um, but the guys that are new, they'll, they'll figure it out. 
um, eventually, but right now it's it's fresh for them, so they don't have to worry so much about the uh, the rivalry. All right, Sean Bell joining us on Inside Sports, assistant coach with Nate, former NHLer. We've had Sean on the show before, uh, played in Europe uh, as well, uh, was briefly at Edmonton Oilers back in the 10-11 season as well, and uh, and you played with the Oklahoma City Barons. Sean, I know I've asked you this before, but you're deeper into it now. Uh, just how are you enjoying the, the transition to coaching and, and maybe the, the different rhythms and responsibilities it brings to your life professionally and personally? I'm still loving it. Uh, you know, every day there's a new challenge, and you know, being on the, the academic side with Nate and the, the institutions, it's you know, you you have to be a more well-rounded coach. You got to deal with budgets. You got to make sure guys are are passing in, in school, uh, and then after that, you're worrying about coaching, right? Because they are students first, as opposed to hockey players first. So it's a different uh, way of thinking and a little bit uh, different model, but. It's still fun, and you know the guys have a passion, and they show up every day enthusiastic, and it makes you enthusiastic to be there. Are you actively involved in any of the recruiting? How much do you do that? Um, between me and, and uh, Tim, we you know we kind of go over the players. We make a list of guys that we want to come to our program, um, and we will go watch them. And if we have, you know, we'll maybe try to watch two or three, four or five times if we can. Uh, depending on who the guy is and how much interest he may have uh, coming to our school as well. You know, and that's the kind of the juggling part is that the ACAC is, I guess, commonly is not known to be as strong as the CIS or U Sports, uh, which is called now. Um, so there's a, there's, you got to be careful with who you're trying to recruit. And I think this game will maybe help uh, showcase our, our league a little bit more. Sean? The Oilers are opening training camp. Uh, the physicals are Thursday. They'll be on the ice on Friday. Uh, you played a lot of pro seasons. What was the best and worst thing about getting into training camp from, from your memory? <laughs> oh, the best thing, I don't really remember. <laughs> but uh, the worst thing was definitely the the um, the Wingate test. It is one of the hardest tests I've, I've ever done. And, you know, it's... It's very difficult, but I guess with that being said, the best part is that getting back on the ice and and seeing the guys you haven't seen in uh, I guess all summer. What was it? Was it ever tough? Because uh, you know we've spoken about uh, about your career, and sometimes you had to bounce around a little bit, or uh, you know you you pro- I know you played more in the American Hockey League some seasons than you would have liked, as opposed to being in the NHL. Was it mentally tough for you? maybe feeling like geez am i a bubble guy how much do they trust me i'm I'm meeting a new you know sometimes you meet new teammates every year if you're with a new franchise was was that is that tougher mentally maybe than people realize or what was your experience with that i think it is because if you're a bubble guy it's you grip your stick a little bit harder because you you want to push to make that team you know but at the same time you feel in the back of your head that if I make that mistake, I'm going to get sent down, or if I make a mistake, I'm going to sit on the end of the bench. And, you know, you kind of play that mental game with yourself. And uh, the guys that succeed are the guys that just go into it and they play and, and let the chips fall where they may. All right, and and we've talked about the Oilers. Your thoughts for this season, I, I mean, look, I, I think there's uh, reason to be optimistic that the playoffs are a pretty realistic possibility after last season. They, you know, they brought a lot of the team back. The Everly trade was a big one, uh, but they're bringing back Russell. They're bringing back Griba. Most of the D are back. They will be without Sekra for about half the year, depending. Uh, you know, give us your sense of now 
they're dealing with having that target on them. How well equipped are they, you know, to now be a team that people want to want to knock off? I, I think I, I well, personally, I really like their team. Uh, I think they're they're a little bit inexperienced on the right side, but I still think there's a bit of depth there. You know, Shlepashev showed what he was made of in the playoffs. He's going to be a good player. I know he's nicked up right now. Uh, Kajula has been was a fantastic addition. Uh, Pugliarvi, I think, has got a lot of speed and he's got definitely a lot of upside. So there's guys that are going to be coming in the lineup that um, are going to add some talent to the team. And uh, defense as a whole, there's a little bit more continuity and guys understand where they're going to be on the ice. And uh, personally, I like their chances and I, I think they're going to be well equipped to, to handle that target on their back. Well, I certainly hope so. It's 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 going to be fun. The expectations are, are higher, which which I think is is a, is a good thing, uh, even even if it puts a target on you for sure. Sean, thanks for joining us. I know you're doing some final prep for the game. It's always great to have you on the show, and I'll see you at Rogers Place tomorrow night, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it as well. See you soon. That is Sean Bell, assistant coach for the Nate Ooks. They're teaming up with McEwen to play the Oilers rookies tomorrow at Rogers Place. 7 o'clock, you can get tickets at the door. You can listen to the game on 6.30 chat. That'll be an interesting one to see how it shakes down. It is 7.17. This is Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 6.30 chat. Here's what, here's what we want to do. First of all, the, the, between 7.30 and 8, this is going to be really interesting. This guy was on the show a couple of years ago. Uh, he played in the NBA. He coached in the NBA, head coach for the Raptors, Butch Carter, and he recently started a league a Canadian basketball league. Now, it is a small league. It is a regional league right now, but he has big plans for it. I think he has realistic plans for it. I know when we had him on the show a couple of years ago, a lot of you said this is never going to get off the ground, but it is off the ground. We'll, we'll see how far off the ground Butch can take it. And he's coming to Edmonton this weekend to speak to the uh, you know the high school, junior, minor basketball coaches at Basketball Alberta Super Weekend. So that's going to be interesting to catch up with him. But I was talking a little bit earlier about Riley being removed on Saturday by that concussion sponsor, uh, spotter, sponsor. Maybe they should sponsor the concussion spotter. This player being removed by Jimmy's Headshot Emporium. No, but uh, Jason Moss had some interesting comments last night. He's coming up next. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. All right, we're hoping to have Mike Riley on the show tomorrow. I don't know if you saw this uh, video. I, I saw I saw it on Twitter. I don't know where else it is on, on social media. Uh, Connor McDavid, soft-spoken guy, sometimes doesn't show a lot of personality, let's face it. I think he's pretty, pretty guarded at times. Did a little video there for uh, EA Sports NHL 18 where he says, hey, you know, everybody thinks I should be on the cover, which, which he was. Uh, but so it's Connor dressing up as as other people and pretending to be other people, saying, "Oh, Connor McDavid has to be on the cover." Even dressed up as a Flames fan and said, "Yeah, yeah, I cheer for the Flames, but but McDavid should be on the co- cover." Pretty funny stuff. When's that game coming out, Kellen Kennedy? Isn't that out pretty soon? Is it uh, Friday? The end of the week, yeah. Is it Friday? You got the uh, NHL. Uh, they always call it a year ahead, right? So it's NHL 18. Yes. It's like cars. The model is named for the next year. Yep. All right, I might get the uh, I might get the cartridge for my Intellivision. Not going to lie to you, pretty interesting. Heard from Mike Riley there coming back from break. He was taken out of the game by the concussion spotter 
on Saturday night. Jason Moss with some extended thoughts on that removal. Well, let's put it this way. It was concussion protocol. It's the first time I've seen in our league a guy get pulled out for concussion protocol. That was what was confusing. I... I'd never seen it done. Um, I watched, I'm watching the play. I've seen Mike get hit plenty of times. And based on his reaction and him talking to the referee right after the play, I didn't even think twice that he was, he was hurt or concussed for that matter. You know, um, the other, and I just think the league needs to review their whole policy on it. Um, and I hope that they do. I hope they listen to, to people that the game got affected by because ultimately our quarterback wasn't concussed. It was found out by our doctors on the sidelines three plays later that he was not concussed one moment. So, But the guy in Toronto obviously believed it. Why he believed that, I'm not sure because when I watch the, the when I go home and watch at PV Yard, I can see Mike Riley's eyes. I can see his reaction after he throws. I can listen to Glenn Suter, however, say it's the worst hit he's ever seen Mike Riley take. So I'm wondering if that guy's listening to Glenn Suter and getting influenced by him or not. But if that is the case, I don't think that should be right. I don't think yeah. he should be able to listen. Um, and I would just like, uh, you know, a better explanation or a better if, if, if a guy. And then the other thing I would like to know is if a guy che- does hit him under the chin, if that's an illegal hit, why isn't it like fighting then? Why don't we get five minutes to let Mike clear his cobwebs a little bit because you knocked our guy out of the game? Yeah. Or at the very least, let us warm up our backup quarterback because it's not like Mike stayed on the ground and he was supposed to be out for three plays. So I think there's a lot of things that need to be looked at, not just say, oh, well, that's concussion protocol. He's out three plays and don't give us any chance to warm up our backup. You're the guy telling us he's hurt when he's not hurt. And then the other thing I would say is there's a play later in the game that Calvin McCarty runs into Campbell and their boundary half and knocks them both down to the point where they can't get up. But I didn't hear anything about concussion protocol for those two gentlemen. And that was a helmet-to-helmet hit. All three of them hit. They all dropped to the ground. And you can see Campbell grabbing his head. Why is why are quarterbacks treated differently in our league? Yeah. And if that spotter is doing his job, which it seemed like in that game he wanted to do his job, why didn't he at that point tell the referee and buzz in and say, both of those players need to be in concussion protocol? How did he miss that one? Mm-hmm. That's what I'd like to know. I'd like to have answers like that given to me if we're talking about player safety ultimately. Some passion there from Jason Moss in studio last night with Morley Scott on the Eskimos Coaches Show. I think he does raise some good points. That was a, a kind of a curious decision there, especially since there was no penalty on the play when there should have been. Eskimos couldn't quite get, get done against the Stamps. We'll talk a little bit more about the uh, Oilers rookies game coming up tomorrow, and we have former Raptors coach Butch Carter. He's coming to Edmonton. All ahead on Inside Sports. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chet. Well, thank you, Mr. Letestu. It is 734. I appreciate you tuning in tonight. You can text 630-630. The open line is 780-496-0063. 7 o'clock tomorrow, we have the Oilers rookies against the Nate McEwen team, and I'll have Inside Sports from 6 to 7, so that'll be fun. Oilers Young Stars, uh, or the Young Stars Classic in Penticton, the Canucks are the host. The Oilers win all three games they beat the flames they shut out the jets they beat the canucks in overtime 
I, uh, you know, I, I think we've talked about some of the players. Uh, you know, Gambardella was good. Butcher was good. We saw some bursts from Yamamoto. That's going to be the top line tomorrow night when they uh, take on the ACAC guys. I thought Caleb Jones is a very good all-round defenseman on the back end. Ryan Mantha had a big shot. I think William Lagason had a very sort of quiet yet efficient type tournament. Maybe that's the type of defenseman that he is. All three goalies did well. Starrett and Skinner and Wells. The plan is for Wells to play the whole game tomorrow night. I, 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 I hate to alarm you, but I got thinking about something. And this is one of those things I throw out there and I, I'm not really sure I have a definite answer, but I think I kind of have the, the kernel of an idea. And, and you're welcome to, ch- to chime in at 6.30, 6.30, or maybe just sit, sit and listen and think, well, he's nuts, or, or maybe you'll watch the NHL season coming up and, and you think about it. But, you know, I was talking to a couple other media guys after and during the tournament, and, and somebody said, you know, the, the, who, the Oilers don't have any big hitters on, on, on defense, you know, like in the tournament. You know, there's nobody that really went out there and, and laid the body. Uh, you know, there were some big hits in the tournament. There was the one fight involving an Oilers forward, Evan Poli, who's a grad of the Red Deer Rebels. But, you know, where's that, that the, the physical defensemen that are, that are banging guys and, and delivering big body checks, sort of those noisy-type players? And, and my, res- my response was, well, fair enough, but, but does... If you are not a, a huge body checker in junior or in minor pro... Does that impede your path to the NHL? And, and I'm not sure if it does. And, and just hear me out here, because obviously hockey is a physical, physical game and body contact is important. So I'm not coming here from the side where you don't have to be tough and you don't have to be willing to hit and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, I think that maybe hockey has become a game of big hits and you know shouldering or hip-checking a guy to more of a game of of body position and fending off the puck and leverage and those types of things. So it's still physical. It's still important to be physically strong. But let me ask you this. How often in an NHL game or, or a week of NHL games, and maybe some of you watch Oilers games, maybe some of you watch several games a week, maybe some of you just tune in hit here and there. But how often in the NHL do you feel you see a home run, oh, my God, that's a highlight real body check. I mean, Chris Russell had that one against Chicago last year, right? Um, sure, you know, Cassian had some in the playoffs and throughout the regular season. The Oilers were a better body contact team. But if we want to restrict it to defensemen, okay, let me ask you this, and you can text in if you want, if, if you think of it, or maybe we'll talk about this more tomorrow or later on in the week, because I think there's more to this topic, and I think it might be fun to talk about you guys with. Who, who, just defensemen, who are the top five most fearsome body checkers in the NHL? Just defensemen. Like, who are guys where you're going down their wing, you feel like he might drill somebody? And I'm thinking that might be a harder list to come up with than it might have been even 10 years ago and certainly 20 or 30 years ago. And let's, let's confine this to the Oilers. Defenseman, best body checker on the team. I would consider that Adam Larson. Now, I think Darnell Nurse wants to body check. Uh, I don't think he's there yet. Larson and, and, and Rob Brown and I talked about it during the year. Like, sometimes Larson would just swallow guys up. You know, he would just negate them out of the play. And, and maybe he wasn't even with a huge body check, but he would just, you know, kind of smush the guy. And, and then the puck is gone. So, but to get back to my original point, talking about this with other media guys, is... If you lack the ability to really drill guys through the glass, 
I don't know if that's going to stop you from making the NHL. And, and if you look strictly at the Oilers' defense, Andre Sekera, really good, well-rounded defenseman, was a sought-after free agent, got, got a lot of money from the Oilers. Unfortunately, he's going to be hurt here for about half the year. But he often gets the puck away from guys, but you never see him blast a guy into the glass, into the board, stand a guy up. He's a body position guy. He's good with his stick. He can wrench the puck away from guys and transition it the other way. And perhaps the best example of Secker doing that was that three-on-three overtime goal that Nugent Hopkins scored against St. Louis in, in last regular season. He's got a guy down low, maybe in a threatening position. Secker is able to spin him, get the puck away, gets it up to the McDavid. McDavid gets to Nugent Hopkins and, and shoots and scores. So there's a highly effective play by Andre Secker to get the puck away from a guy, and it didn't involve you know him, him having to run at him or, or try to plaster him. It was body position, it was leverage, and it was working the puck up ice. Look, hitting, intimidation, physical play, going to be a huge heart of part of hockey forever maybe there's going to be well there already are less fights but i'm just wondering like if you if you evaluated a young defenseman and said and watched him for three games and said well he never hit anybody that hard this does not necessarily mean he's not going to be able to make the nhl and if you look at the oilers defense yeah i mean they play physical they play tough but there's no big blaster back there on the back end. So anyway, kind of an idea that was going through my head. Maybe we'll talk about this again some other night. We want to take a break. It's 7.40. We'll tell you how Cleveland is doing in pursuit of win 20 in a row. And former Raptors coach Butch Carter when we get back. Hi, this is Ryan Eugene Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. It's called Super Weekend. It's hosted every fall by the good folks over at Basketball Alberta. It's going to be in Calgary on Sunday, but on Saturday it's going to be at Concordia University College right here in Edmonton. The feature speaker, former Toronto Raptors coach, current Canadian Basketball League president, Butch Carter. And Butch joins us now. Butch, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Good. Good. The weather's good in Toronto, so man can't complain. Well, good stuff. It's great to have you on the show again. You know, Butch, I know you're coming to Edmonton, and I want to talk about that and talk about some other stuff, but you were on this show a couple of years ago, and uh, you were telling the story about trying to to launch the Canadian Basketball League, and, uh, you know, I imagine there were some bumps in the road, but you got through a season, right? How how would you describe everything that's gone on? I think that, um, you know, what we're attempting to do is not easy, and... uh, think that the instincts that we showed around playing in university gyms and uh, playing a short season, also the TV agreement with uh, Yes TV, I think it worked out very well. It could have been a lot worse. Uh, I know the interest among the players or TV ratings, again, as I said, were very good. So I, I, don't, I don't think there's any question there is a future for Canadian Basketball League. I, I do believe, though, it needs to be an Eastern Division and a Western Division. Okay, so I'm glad you brought that up because all the teams right now are in the in the Toronto area, right? Yes. You know, geographically, um, you know, when you say league, basketball league in Canada, you know, geographically Canada goes as far east-west as any, any uh, continent in the world. So um, people worry about, oh, what about the cost of travel? Well, 
you know, if you look at clustering the teams in areas um, and do a schedule that is similar to what the Western Hockey League does out west and what the CHL does with Ontario Hockey League, uh, you'll be fine. It's just, you know, there are a lot of people who ran leagues that did them the wrong way. They, they, they put the teams in facilities that were too big, uh, that the teams could never afford. They geographically spread the teams out, and the cost of travel was exorbitant. So I think we preemptively did a lot of good research, and um, we have a structure that will work. So if you mention the West, and you can tell me if I'm getting ahead of myself, are there certain communities that, that you're looking at, and could Edmonton be on the list of possible sites for future CBL teams? Edmonton would definitely be on the list for, uh, you know, you've got this huge following of, of, in youth basketball in Alberta. So, you know, I think you'd have to look at Edmonton. There are at least two facilities and possibly three that are small enough. I think the University of Alberta's facility is too big, and you also could have some scheduling issues because of the tripart agreement there. Uh, but you could do some special school day events. Uh, I think Edmonton also needs a specific owner that's from the community. Uh, that would help that along. Calgary, the University of Calgary, would be a beautiful place for a Canadian Basketball League team. Uh, in Calgary, though, you do have a smaller facility that you could launch a team until the league really got up and going and rolling. I think that, you know, it's important for me to emphasize to you you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer, you know, you, you, you got to kind of crawl before you stand up and try to run. But I believe, you know, two teams in Alberta, you know, I like the Winnipeg market, I think, for basketball. Um, you you got to put a team in Vancouver, uh, maybe two teams in Vancouver, and it's just a matter of working through the facilities issues. And also, you have an added expense in Vancouver of housing. So, you know, in my mind, there could be communities. I would prefer the teams be communities of at least 300,000 people because what you're attempting to do is get 1% of that population to your games or between 2,000 and 3,000 people. I got you. Okay. You know, I I love the detail you talk about this, Butch. I mean, you obviously didn't go into it blind. You've really tried to plan some things out. You got it going, uh, and it's great you want to come west for sure. Tell me a little bit about the players who made up the league in in Season 1. I mean, mean, is it only for Canadians, and are we talking U-sports grads, or or who have we found here? Well, the first season, (laughs) we had a blend of, Canadians. We have a mandatory four Canadians have to be on per team. Okay. And I would hope that the league would get strong enough that our Canadians would unionize the league like the CFL, and then they could demand more positions on the team. A FIBA team is allowed to have 10 people dressed per game and then have an additional two people uh, in in a development program. So, you know, I think I think, you know, you, you got to stay within the FIBA format. It's just a matter of the Europeans were very smart. The the Euros, uh, the players from Greece and Italy and France, they unionized to protect the jobs, and it forced the game to grow naturally in their countries. And 
they, you know, the, the EuroLeague is a very good benchmark for uh, Canada to look at. Okay, excellent, Butch. Butch Carter joining us inside sports on 630 Chet, former Toronto Raptors coach. He's actually coming to Edmonton this weekend for Basketball Alberta's Super Weekend. So that's their big uh, coaching and, and refs clinic. And, uh, you know, they Butch, they, they often get uh, get a big name like yourself to come in. You know, I, I'm curious. I, I assume you're, you're going to talk to some coaches, mingle with some coaches. I mean, you coached at the highest level of pro basketball in the NBA, um, and you're going to be talking to a lot of coaches who might coach a high school team. Heck, Butch, they, they might coach five-year-olds. That might be the oldest kids they've ever coached. H- how do you sort of relate to everybody? What message do you try to, to get across? Because clearly there's a bit of a disparity, I would assume, in, in your experience on the level of basketball and maybe the level you're, of the people you're going to be talking to. Well, I, I, first of all, I want to... I want to invite everyone personally to come out and, and hear what I have to say. I think what Alberta basketball is doing is really great. Um, everybody forgets, yeah, I coached at the highest level, but I started out as a high school coach. For two years, I was a high school coach. And last I checked, my four sons all went from the, from birth to their current age, and there was a lot of youth basketball practices I had to sit and watch. So... Canadian coaches are under a very stressful framework to coach in because being from the U.S., you know, I grew up, I grew up in my, my junior high school team. There were four teams in the seventh grade and four teams in eighth grade. We practiced in the same gym every day. We knew who we were playing. In Canada, where they have to acquire a permit, a lot of these kids are practicing in a different gym every night, and that's that's extremely difficult to build a rhythm with the team. So I fully understand the differences and the deficiencies that the Canadian system has had to overcome. And, you know, that's what I'll talk about. How to overcome it. Putting together an outstanding practice plan. You know, how can you go to the gym with all these adver- adversarial items that you have to deal with as a coach in Canada and not have a good practice plan. By not having a good practice plan, a lot of coaches end up succumbing to the influence of influences of parents. Parents normally stay out of the way when a coach is organized. They can, they can see the team or the individual kids moving forward. So a lot of coaches who mean well, They mean well, they want to give their time, but they've never gone to a clinic and understood how important it is to put together an organized practice, how you do it. I'm going to give them samples of my practice plans, and they need to see how to organize things. I'm going to go over with some players on the court which drills they need to be using to be successful every day. So, you know, I'm all in. I don't do many of these. It's, it's, uh, I'm glad I got invited, but heck, if we're, if we're going to be there, we might as well have a good time and just share some knowledge. That's excellent, but I love how you explain that about putting together the, the practice plan and the importance of preparation. Butch Carter joining us on Inside Sports. He's coming to Basketball Alberta's Super Weekend this weekend. Uh, he coached the uh, Toronto Raptors, was also an assistant in the NBA. So along those lines, Butch, maybe I can get a story or a memory out of you here. 
when you were on an NBA bench, either as an assistant or, or a head coach, who was that one coach as an opponent you always felt like this guy's going to be super prepared, have his team ready, or maybe going to have something up his sleeve? Who was the one guy that was the toughest to coach against? Normally, my opinion is that in the NBA, there's five good teams and five really good coaches that you have to pair against. There's, you know, that that's ten of the thirty teams. Okay. So for, for so for me, Don Nelson was the ultimate adversary. Nelly was a former player with the great Celtic teams. He had turned two other franchises around: the Milwaukee Bucks, the Golden State Warriors, and then he was in Dallas when I was coaching. So. Nelson was the toughest. He had a lot of gimmick defenses. Um, you know, there were a lot of good coaches. Van Gundy was in New York. Carl was in Milwaukee. Patino was in in Boston. Uh, we did not have any problems with those guys. We were very successful against them. Uh, Phil Jackson, we beat the Lakers in L.A. But Don Nelson, in my opinion, you know, is one of the best ever and I put him at the head of the class of Hall of Fame coaches that I had to coach against. Pat Riley was very simple. He always had a great player, and they made sure the ball was distributed to the great players. I knew Riley very well because he was an assistant coach when I was a rookie in the NBA with the Lakers. So, you know, in my mind, uh, Don Nelson was as good as it got. He was excellent X and O coach, a real strategist during the game, very good after timeouts. So uh, I think, you know, for me, it's, it's hands down Don Nelson. Uh, just a brilliant mind in, in taking athletes. And the team might have had a deficiency, um, but he found a way to overcome it by getting in the play to their strengths. Hey, it's always great to catch up with you. I, I hope we could do this again because I always enjoy our conversations, uh, and it's great you're coming to Edmonton for Super Weekend. So safe travels, and uh, maybe we'll run into each other. But really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. I'm so happy to be invited to Super Weekend in Edmonton, and uh, I plan on having a blast, and I hope that everyone that can come out, young basketball coaches, male and female, if you want to learn something from an old coach, Please come out and hear what I have to say. I guarantee I won't disappoint you. Great stuff. Butch Carter, former Raptors head coach, president of the Canadian Basketball League. Great to reconnect with him. You also heard from Sean Bell, assistant coach of the Nate Ooks, Brandon Zilstra from your Eskimos, Joe Gambardella, captain of the Oilers rookies team. 7 o'clock tomorrow we have their game against the Nate McEwen combined team. I can't call them the mashups. Sean Bell didn't like it. Thanks to Kellen Kennedy, our studio producer. Dave Campbell is the producer of the show. I really appreciate you listening. My name is Reed Wilkins. Talk to you tomorrow. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.